0: thank you so much for joining us today as we open up this text of scripture in 1 kings chapter 3. here we find solomon ask god specifically for a discerning or a wise and understanding heart we know that so many things are difficult right now to kind of sort through with everything going on in this world we hope that this sermon specifically is an encouragement to you we want god to be able to give you everything that you need and we know that all of that can be found in his word and we hope that you're encouraged as you open with us today. When we were growing up, we usually got excited about one time of the year especially, our birthday. We couldn't wait to actually get the presents. We were Wondering what it is mom and dad would have bought us, or maybe even our friends from school. Before we could do that, before we could actually open the presents, we needed to blow out the candles on the cake and not forget to make a wish. Now, what if God himself presented you with the option to have one thing that you would want? What would your response be? Would you ask him for, let's say, a new house? To be abundantly rich? Maybe you would want that prominent position that others would look up to you specifically. Maybe some of us would want something just as simple as a redo on something in life. Whatever it would be, we see clearly here in the text that we're going to be looking at in 1 Kings chapter 3 that Solomon is presented with the ultimate choice. Ask whatever you want, and it's yours. Solomon, who's known by many to be the wisest man who ever lived, we many times forget where it all started. It started right here in this text that we're going to be looking at. We'll be looking at four things in the text to see what made Solomon unique in his wisdom. We're going to look at the background setting in verses 1 through 5. Number 2, the the formal request, verses 6 through 9. Number 3, the divine response, verses 10 through 14. And then number 4, the practical proof, verses 16 through 28. Let's start with number one, the background setting, verses one through five. It says this, Now Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house, and the house of the Lord, and the wall all around Jerusalem. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places, because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father, David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? Solomon was born in Jerusalem. And was the second child born to David and Bathsheba after their first child died as the baby due to David's sin with Bathsheba regarding murder and adultery. Solomon's name itself actually means peace, and that's pretty much his whole experience as a king, unlike his father David, who was constantly at war. Solomon came to the throne at around the age of 20 which means that he would have lacked a lot of the knowledge and experience that his father David would have had growing into his role as a king, if you will, becoming the eventual king at the age of 30. It says here that Solomon married Pharaoh's daughter, right from the beginning it says that in the text, which was really kind of a way to keep the peace between nations through intermarriage. This would actually become a big problem for Solomon later on as he got older. It actually tells us here that Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes, of his father, David, except that he sacrificed and burnt incense at the high places. See, a high place was a local or regional worship center dedicated to a God. Worship at these centers would often include making sacrifices, burning incense, and holding feasts or festivals, if you will. Some of these high places contained altars or even graven images of the particular deity that was worshiped. In fact, groups like the Canaanites, Israel's enemy, also worship Baal as their chief deity, and they use some of these high places for their gods. Scripture here doesn't clearly state if that's what's going on, but it does make a distinction between Solomon and his father David. At the very least, that Solomon was not as urgent to build the temple as his father David was, though he was prohibited by God. We do know later on that just because Solomon built the temple, it did not mean he tore down these other places. We see that those were a stumbling block to him, and he ended up not obeying God and mixing his worship with other pagan entities. Solomon's lack of complete obedience in tearing these high places down would be his major undoing as he got older. Now, here's what ends up happening with a lot of us. If you and I think that ignoring small compromises in our walk with God right now will not affect our faithfulness in the future, we're gravely mistaken. The consequences can actually be devastating it should come as no surprise that solomon pens the book of ecclesiastes later on to regret the many lessons learned through personal experience and walking away from god to serve other gods what is comforting though is that he did love the lord and he walked very close to how his father walked david god actually here in the text appears to solomon in a vision to grant him anything he wants He says to him, ask, what shall I give you? In other words, what do you want that I can give? I, the God that blessed Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that promised your father David his throne would be everlasting, this is the God telling you right now, whatever you want, it's yours. Let's look further down at the formal request here specifically. There's an actual formal request here in verses 6 through 9. Look at this. It says this. And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? So, we don't actually know how long Solomon took to think about this question before offering his request. But let's take some time here for ourselves and see how he responds and not just jump to the conclusive, he asks God for wisdom. Everybody always mentions that here. Solomon actually recaps some incredible things here in the text. Uh, Number one, he actually realizes something. He doesn't deserve to be king. He doesn't deserve to be king. He's on the throne because God providentially worked in spite of his parents' sin, his mother's and father's sin. In fact, his actual sibling died because of that sin. Solomon was loved by God as his father David was. Now, before we go asking God for something, maybe we just need to start by humbly realizing we've been extended mercy. We don't deserve this life that God's given us. We could have been born, let's say, in another country and not enjoying any of the blessings that we have here. We're so demanding of God as if our great performance yesterday deserves anything that we ask of him today. We simply don't deserve anything. We don't deserve the grace that paid for our sin. Yet we think somehow that we are so much better and more deserving than others because we would have done something different in the situation that they're in and their poor life choices. We need to be humble. Solomon understands something right up front. This is God's mercy. Solomon also knows something else here. He doesn't stop there. He actually moves a little further and he says, I don't really have the practical experience. Solomon realized he doesn't have the practical experience. In fact, he actually refers to himself as a child. Someone that doesn't really know how to rule well. God, there are so many people I don't know how to take care of all of them. God, I'm younger than many of the people I'm leading. They have more experience than I do. Solomon has the same approach that his father David did. He is the servant of God. He actually keeps referring to himself as a servant here in this text, which really gets to the heart of Solomon and how he saw himself before God. Now, what's interesting here is that Solomon already knows where his area of weakness is, unlike most younger men. Most young men, when when put in a leadership position, uh, been there, done that, come at it with the attitude of they know better than those that have gone before them which then leads to a never-ending blame game that each generation plays with the generation that's gone before. Solomon here, he fully admits, I don't know what I'm doing here. And it's with that humble attitude that he asks for an understanding heart. He asks for a heart here that is understanding. It says, I need a heart that listens. Solomon knows his young pride can get the best of him. So the only remedy is an understanding or, as stated here, a listening heart. That's what's most important to him that God gives him. A heart that discerns between good and evil, not just a heart that runs with its own bias. Solomon's not looking for just a better perspective. He wants a supernatural change of heart in how he approaches life. In fact, Solomon specifically wants divine supernatural insight into his calling as the king of Israel. He doesn't want to just rely on what he heard from others. He wants it to be accurate, not just something he liked as a leader of Israel. Would an understanding heart be your first choice if you were asked this question by God himself? Or are there other things you would have probably mentioned right away? Well, let's take a look at the divine response from God. Number three, the divine response, verses 10 through 14. It says this, The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice, behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart. So that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. There's just an incredible divine response to Solomon's request here. God gives Solomon even more than what he asked for because his request was for an understanding heart. In fact, God tells Solomon here, I will give you a wise and understanding heart as you requested. I'm going to give you a heart that discerns between right and wrong. Fact from fiction. Justice from injustice. God gave Solomon a discerning heart. But check this out. He actually doesn't stop there. He gives them also riches and honor. Others would be envious of Solomon's status. In comparison to the other kings, Solomon would outrank them if they had, if you will, an online poll. Solomon's request gave him more than he requested. God blessed him even more abundantly than what he had originally asked. Now I want, I want, I want us to be honest for a second. Let's, let's be honest. How many times have you asked God for something and he actually has overdelivered? You asked him for a steady income. You got a nice raise. You asked him to provide for your needs. You got more than that in what would be considered riches in the third world. You got a nice home, a steak over a fire. Maybe you even bought the latest iPhone. Stop complaining. God constantly over delivers, and we're just not paying attention. We don't give him credit. After giving Solomon all these things, God actually does put a condition on one thing here, long life. His longevity when it comes to life was dependent on future obedience to God and his word. So having looked at the divine response, let's see exactly how this discerning, or as the text says, wise and understanding heart that Solomon was granted plays out in real life. We we don't need to think in the abstract, well, it must have looked like this. Scripture actually gives us practical proof. So number four, practical proof, verses 16 through 28. It's a longer text, but, but bear, bear with me. Here's, this is going to be pretty interesting to see. It says, Now two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. And one woman said, O oh my Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house. And I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened the third day after I had given birth that this woman also gave birth. And we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead. But when I had examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had borne. Then the other woman said, no, but the living one is my son and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, No, but the dead one is your son, and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. And the king said, The one says, This is my son who lives, and your son is the dead one. And the other says, No, but your son is the dead one, and my son is the living one. Then the king said, Bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son, and she said, O my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means kill him. But the other said, Let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. So the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king. For they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. Here's what's great about scripture. God does not actually leave us in any way guessing what does a wise and understanding or discerning heart look like that he gave Solomon. He actually gives us practical proof of what that is. We have two harlots or or prostitutes, if you will. They bring a case before King Solomon regarding their sons. These women have both recently given birth to sons, and they lived in the same house. We don't know exactly why, um, but that's, that's what the text actually says. At night, one of the infants was smothered by the mother and died. The woman whose son had died decided to switch her baby, who was now dead, with the, with the baby of the other woman as she was sleeping. Now, this other woman, wanting justice, decided to bring it before the king, which, as a side note, anyone that had a matter that needed to be petitioned before the king, um, even even if you were a prostitute, was able to bring that case before uh, the, the divine uh, authority that got it set up, which is the king. Having brought it before the king, she actually mentions that the other lady swapped the boys because hers died accidentally in bed. After examining this dead boy found her in her bed, she knew the boy was the other woman's and the one alive was hers. Now, both of these ladies, they end up claiming that the boy was, that was alive was, was theirs and not the other ladies. So Simon actually does something very unusual. Uh, He tells them to bring a sword out and decides to cut the baby in half uh, to give each woman a half. Now, this was not some sick joke that Solomon wanted to see if he could tell who the mother was by doing something extraordinary. He really was just trying to do a test here. He wanted to see which mother was genuine and which one was not. What was interesting is it made it very clear to Solomon which mother it was because the mother pleaded for her son, even if... Her son was to be given to the other lady. See, what's interesting is that the judgment called by Solomon was actually heard around the kingdom to where others actually saw Solomon had that discerning heart of wisdom and understanding. Now, to know whether or not we have a discerning heart of wisdom and understanding, it becomes clear in the way that we personally actually apply the word of God. Anytime we go against a clear principle of scripture and we argue that we're being wise, we're actually being foolish there's actually clear evidence available to us in seeing what God says in his word. And how we are living that out practically will show and testify to that. So let's take a look just a couple principles that we can spell out from God's word and see how we're doing in our own practical proof, if you will, of following with a wise and understanding heart. One thing that we're going to take a look at is in, in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 5. It says this. It says, a wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. Now, here's a simple point to know. If you, if you have a discerning heart, are you continually learning? Do you stop when you've heard a point that someone's made? Or even, let's say, a sermon that you've listened to? Or do you continually want to keep learning? Do you continually want to hear more from others, or do you stop once the opinion that you have is confirmed? I think we all fall into this trap very easily. Uh, even the, the best among us, uh, we become wise in our own eyes. If you do hear and learn from others, what kind of advice do they offer? You see, Scripture does not just give us immunity, you know, when it comes to horrible advice. Uh, we need to be careful who we read, who we get our advice from. Be very careful here because the first thing that usually pops up for all of us um, is when others are off in some area, Because our position isn't the same as theirs, we we constantly berate them. Can can I be biblical and say this? We we all have blind spots, and we need to be careful not to be so harsh on others' misunderstanding or lack of wisdom in certain areas. Uh, There are many well-learned and studied men and women who have very difficult struggles behind the scenes that no amount of study or advice from others can help them with. in in, let's say facing their own personal demons or difficulties in their relationships with their their children, their parents, or even their spouse. There are many of us that have outlearned, if you will, our practical capacity. This is one of the reasons why Proverbs chapter one, verse seven is so important. Proverbs chapter one, verse seven specifically says this. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. We need to start right there in the reverential of god and in his word and stop putting our opinions above that another way that we can see if we're walking with a discerning heart is do we control our temper proverbs 19:11 specifically says the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger and his glory is to overlook a transgression want to know if you're wise how short is your fuse when it comes to getting angry with others See, if you are wise, you'll be more patient with others instead of just blasting them right away. I love how one other translation actually puts this text. It says, sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. I mean, let's, let's be honest. People that we respect normally are people that have actually done well in controlling their temper. It's a very good indication that they are growing in wisdom. It's a great indication that we are growing in wisdom. Here's another thing that we could take a look at to see if we are really practically living out and we have practical proof of us having that understanding or discerning heart, if you will. We're long term oriented. In Proverbs chapter 21, it says this There is desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. So if we're consumed about the short term, we're foolish, we're not wise. The idea here is aiming for the short term while forgetting the importance of saving up for the future. That actually has devastating results. You see, if we just spend whatever we get, we should not be surprised by the effect that it has on not just us, but also our family. Uh, There are many ways to see whether we have a discerning heart throughout all of the Word of God, but especially actually in the book of Proverbs. So I'd recommend really reading a proverb a day. There are actually 31 chapters, 31 days in a month. Uh, Be very practical for us to read. You see, many of us, we live out the truths found in Scripture, and we may have blessings based on being wise stewards of, let's say, our money, our time, our relationships. But if we don't know Christ, we don't know the ultimate fountain of wisdom for every one of us. Paul actually specifically points something out in Colossians. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 2-3, through three, he says this, That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There are many that are wise in applying much of what Proverbs says, and God's word will always be fulfilled as stated. But if they regard, disregard the warning of Scripture when it comes to their eternal soul, they're merely foolish. There's a treasure that we can find in Christ, And he humbled himself before the Father as Solomon humbled himself before God. The difference is Solomon could never take away sin. He still needed to continually offer sacrifices for his own. But Jesus Christ came and he became sin for us. He offered of himself. Worldly wisdom looks at Christ as something foolish. Godly wisdom sees the value of a precious lamb slain for us. So as we close... It's just a simple question. How's your discernment? How's your discernment? I mean, how are you doing in this area? Have you been lacking discernment because you'd rather read or listen to everything or anyone else but Scripture during this difficult time? Maybe it's time to get back into the Word and ask for wisdom. You see, God actually promises if anyone lacks wisdom to ask and He'll give it to you. But but don't ask for wisdom if you don't want to actually hear from him. And if you don't want to hear from his word. You see, prayer and scripture, they need to go together. Maybe you foolishly think you've got all the time in the world. Can I warn you from scripture that you're just not guaranteed it tomorrow? You'd be an absolute fool to reject Christ and trade temporary pleasure for eternal judgment. Trust Christ today. Trust him by simply asking for forgiveness for your sin. Not your mistakes, actual sin, offenses you've committed against God, a holy God, and believing what he has done by sending Christ on your behalf, dying on a cross and rising again. You and I can live with a discerning heart because we have Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge.